0: If you've watched Monty Python or seen the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, or heard the one about Socrates on the bookshelf, you'll know that these days, Greek philosophers are portrayed as comedic figures, made to be the butt of jokes. But Socrates, Aristotle and Plato are, of course, much more than that. They are the fathers of Western, if not world, philosophy. Despite us knowing so little about their lives... They have an enduring influence on every aspect of our thinking and understanding. The university, the academy, the school, these things all come from the three great philosophers, men who actually lived and knew each other. It's time we got to know them. We are back with another season of Blind History Um, When Anthony and I were talking about what we were going to do here, we thought, oh, it's going to be months away. It feels like it's all just suddenly arrived. So today, the episode that we're getting cracking on is the three great Greek philosophers. And we decided to lump them all into one episode because while they're all fascinating people, I'm sure you'll agree, there's not enough substantial biographical information for us to be able to talk about each of them individually in an episode. It's almost worth Rolling them into one because they are all related as well. Um, and just before we even get started, was there a, a favorite one among the three?
1: I'll probably say Plato. And then really? Po- yeah. Uh, Why? It looked like he had it more together. I think that Socrates was a bit crazy. <laughs> you know, so he was maybe a little bit cooked, possibly. <laughs> so I'll probably say Plato. And then Aristotle, um, I think he's probably the one that's. In the Western world, they probably lean on the most and actually around the world. But yeah, I just enjoy Plato. And and Plato, the big claim to fame is the university sort of startup. So that piqued my interest.
0: Well, I mean, we'll start off chronologically and start with Socrates, who was the first one. He was born in 469 BC, and he actually started off as a a stonemason. And he, he wasn't particularly well-educated, which is why he's my favorite, one of the three. And he was a bit nutty. Mm. Um, but the, the father of Western philosophy, really. Correct, yeah. And in some ways, you know, his his famous line, know thyself, is kind of a guiding philosophy of mine. Throughout the whole of your life, your mm. purpose is to try to understand that life and to try to understand yourself And I've always thought that that was very powerful, just those two words, know thyself. It was eventually those two words that were carved onto the entablature of the Temple of Delphi. So it became kind of the guiding philosophy of the ancient Greeks and the Romans, Stoics and the teachers of the ancient world. But Socrates was very bizarre. He also fought, didn't he fight as a soldier in the Peloponnesian Wars? Yeah,
1: so his parents... People say that he was they were very poor, they were sort of medium poor, if that's even a term in the ancient <laughs> that, world that, yeah, there's yeah. a difference yeah yeah <laughs> so which allowed them to send him to the army, and everybody had to go to the army from the age of eighteen to sixty odd you know they had to really serve time whenever necessary, and well, listen and, they weren't messing around. those Peloponnesian wars were quite geez, it was against the Spartans mm. and the Spartans you know there's a long history about how they lived their lives, but anyway, so he went and he was impressive. He was fearless and very much the way he lived his life. And you can see definitely in the end at his trial, absolutely fearless. And it's ironic. He saved the life of a great general, a very popular general oh, yeah? during the Peloponnesian wars. And this particular general was one of many that stood against him at his trial. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was quite, he saved him. He saved his life. In the Penipolisian Wars. And,
0: Ungrateful
1: son of a bitch. Yeah, and he was one of the main instigators of taking him down. You know, we're kind of circuiting round to the death, but this was a life well lived.
0: He always said, an unexamined life is not one worth living. Mm. Again, that philosophy of know thyself, which I think is so powerful. But we don't have any actual surviving accounts of his life or of his own writing mm. he didn't, by he, him.
1: Yeah, so he didn't note anything. I think he was just famous for just... Asking questions and then actually pulling the answer out of his audience. I mean, it was phenomenal. That was what they called the Socrates method.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: And it also, it upset a lot of the nobility.
0: Well, he would question everything. I mean, he mm. wasn't particularly trepidatious around things like gods and mythology and mm. stuff that was very sacred to to the Athenians and to the Greeks at large. But also at that stage, Athens was quite an open-minded place. Compared yeah, to the rest of human history and what came after. And I think he, he used that to his advantage. It was Periclean, true democracy. Everything was decided by an actual, you know, democracy meant everyone pitched up and mm. they would decide stuff together. Yeah, the men. It's incredible. The, only the men. <laughs> only the men. Oh, men. Only the Athenian citizenry exactly. and the nobility, by the way. But it was still a democracy of a very pure kind. But I remember a story someone told me about how Socrates, when he was giving a lecture or he was talking about something or he was extracting questions and answers from people, if someone started applauding or the crowd got very excited about something, let's say they'd made some breakthrough in answering a question with some philosophical answer that people liked. If they started applauding, he would leave because he didn't like the idea of them liking the answer more than the Mm. process.
1: Very pure guy in that respect, but he was a real hippie, right? He was on the streets. Uh, That we got from Plato was what he looked like. He was short, stocky, bulging eyes, snubby nose. Didn't sound sound like a good-looking guy. No, and then he was – when he walked around, you know – with dirty clothes, unkempt, dirty fingernails. And at the time, you talk about Athens. Athens was the place to be. There was philosophy, poetry. There was It was just an incredible place. But beauty, beauty of being. Everybody that was admired were these athletes with oily skin and yeah. and shiny skin, should I say, rather. And I think the oil came later. But <laughs> And he was a, a mess. Yeah, he was a mess. But I mean, even
0: if you see those busts of, of his, and I saw two of them in Rome when I was there last year. They don't really portray a very uh, nice-looking man.
1: No, and he always looked like he was <laughs> stuck in a stare because he had yeah. those eyes. So, <laughs> so obviously, I think that if we lived in that area, we might have thought, no, oh, it's um, you know." But he, he used to say
0: a lot of things that I suppose we've carried through into modern wisdom, and they sound like very profound things now. But I'm sure they were when he said them. Yeah, things definitely. like the only wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Yeah. You know, which is, And he which knew are, that. And 100%. a lot of older people say that stuff to you, and you don't yeah. get it when you're
1: young. Yeah, that's true. Now, he had a wife, Zanthopy, yeah. One of his colleagues, I would imagine, said that she was undesirable. <laughs> that's how he, he described. But Socrates also had three children, and uh, what upset her was she just said you're fiddling around with this blah 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 stuff and nobody's paying for it. Yeah. Why don't you go and do some stonemason work? Right and bring home some bacon. Br- bring her- so she was upset with it.
0: But she was apparently a real shrew of a woman. And when he was asked about her, he said because she was so unimpressive, he said, A horse trainer has to practice on the most spirited animals. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. you see, that's so excellent. No, they were not nice they yeah. were not
0: nice about each other. Yeah, they weren't. <laughs> like any good married yeah. couple. But, um. the,
1: but the thing which is interesting was that he didn't spend any time with his three sons. He didn't connect with them. He spent most of his time bringing up young boys in Athens. They used to mentor, yeah. and they loved him, and he was pure. And if we try and put ourselves in the way the world was then, I mean, these gods could kill us. Mm. I mean, that's how scary it was. You could be struck down by yeah. lightning. or, And what he would say is we need to move away from that part of your life and look at more in ethics so you've got to look at ethical rule or ethical behavior rather than the theological side of the behavior that was driven at the time there's a massive risks that he took
0: well those risks got him into trouble in the end yeah because he was eventually tried there were about 500 people in the trial and about 280 said no he's guilty 220 said he was innocent Mm -hmm. So he lost by the narrowest of margins, but it was basically for refusing to acknowledge the gods. Those weren't really fair charges. They were all trumped up.
1: Yeah, they were trumped up. And I think that ultimately these windbags, as they said in one note, they just, they wanted to take him out because he made them look stupid at the trial. The fearlessness came out. He stood up and he made a mockery of the people questioning him. And that probably also put the knife in him, you know, although he was poisoned with hemlock, but ultimately in the end, he, um, they said you'd call me an atheist, but I believe in a God. Hmm. So what is that? And then he says I corrupt. Who, who is looking after the cause of the youth? And they couldn't answer the question. The laws, and then who writes the laws? And, and in the end, he pushed the people questioning him. They were really backed in a corner. They actually looked quite stupid. And then finally, when it was two eighty to two twenty, you get a second opportunity. First of all, the accused has a chance to plead his case. Subsequent to that, they can do a revert, and he could plead the case that. He apologizes and maybe he can go into exile or he's willing to pay money. I can't remember the exact currency, but he said he's prepared to pay one, whatever the currency is. And that was actually laughing at them because it was like offering a rand.
0: So And he refused to apologize. He refused
1: to apologize. Even
0: though his rebuttal is called an apology in modern language. But he decided, screw you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not worth putting up with this nonsense. I'll take the poison. Mm. I'll drink hemlock. Yeah. Went off and and had some poison.
1: Yeah, he had to wait a month because they had some story going. (laughs) You know, there was some religious story that there was some God that was killing young boys. And so they had to send boys for sacrifices and that gone for a month, so they had to wait. And then they came back. And during that time, Plato and them had organized. They had money to bribe the gods and we can get you out of here now. And he said, no. And I think that's where he made the statement about his life. And it's just not worth living. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, he, he has to stand up for what he believes in. And Athens was his city.
0: Now Plato came after him, but he was also his student, right? And Correct, he wrote yes. most of what we know about Socrates, including mm. what you said about the way he looks. Um, he was massively influenced by Pythagoras and established one of the first real schools in the Correct. West. It was called the Academy because mm. it, it, took place, the lessons would take place, the discussions, the conversations would happen in a place called the Academia, which was land that used to supposedly belong to Academus Mm. back in the days. Yeah, that's correct. So this is the first school.
1: Yeah, it was like a tertiary education. Yeah. It survived three centuries. And then our dear friend Sulla, who came before Julius Caesar and Augustus, he came and just destroyed it. Wiped it out. But it lasted for three centuries. And so many famous philosophers, such as Aristotle, came to Plato's academy. Now, also, they
0: had mathematics there. They taught literacy. And he was really recognized, Plato, as the first utopian thinker. I mean, he would think of metaphysics and epistemology and that kind of thing, which are matters of ethics and virtuism. And he wrote 36 books. All of them are dialogues in which Socrates features quite prominently as the protagonist. He devoted his life. To one goal, which was helping people to reach something called eudaimonia or fulfillment. Mm. I mean, that's quite extraordinary. Is this this one of the reasons you thought that he was more together than the others?
1: Well, I suppose he talked to me more. You know, I think it just made so much more sense. You know, there's no doubt that Socrates was incredible and Aristotle, but he just, if we can just see something that makes so much sense wise men talk because they have something to say, where fools talk because they have to say something. So, I mean, it just makes so much sense today. <laughs> and you must realize we are talking yeah. two and a half thousand years ago in a completely different society and it talks to us. I just found that amazing. And then also he was broad in what he did in philosophy and all the things that he added to it. So such as Pythagoras. Yeah. He loved the numbers. He loved the math side of it. Yeah. So there's was, was a lot more to him. But interestingly enough, if you look at Plato, Plato was a wrestling champion. Huh. He'd won two tournaments and if he won the third tournament, he would go to the Olympics and you know, you'd get food for the rest of your life. You'd get a meal for the rest of your life. The previous tournament he won, he won a massive bottle of olive oil, which he couldn't finish himself. So he distributed and that's how they made money. <laughs> and he was a, compared to Socrates. He was this proper Greek God looking athlete. And interestingly enough, he overtrained. his coach said, no, 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 listen, do not train today because you're fighting tomorrow. He didn't do that, and he lost that and didn't get into the Olympic Games, and that stuck with him so that when he'd already retired from wrestling, one of the great Greek wrestlers for the Olympic Games, he said to the trainer who was a god in training and a famous general, he said to him, you're overtraining your, your subject, and the guy was mad with him, but then he told the story, and it made sense, so he was very much about looking at the physical side and looking after the physical side and also looking after the mind. So basically, if you only look after the physical side, your mind is gone. You're an idiot. Hmm. But if you look after your mind and not your body, your body's not going to last with your mind. Yeah. So he spoke a lot about those. It's amazing.
0: Things. It's, it's sort of like he had some balance that the rest of us are still trying to attain. Agreed. And he did have – he had a lot of interest in the way things worked in government, obviously. He said that democracy needed to be reformed. He said people should be only allowed to vote once they are philosophers, and he said that philosophers should be kings. And no surprises there. Kings should be <laughs> philosophers.
1: Yeah, but he meant it deeper. But uh, you know, I was being a bit cynical. But that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I wish we could have more of that. Well, know? like Socrates, yeah. he was worried that people would be
0: easily persuaded by someone charming and populist, mm. and we deal with that. Today even All the time Than by someone who was really thoughtful And who meant well And mm-hmm. who who wanted to dedicate themselves to service Yeah It's much easier for humans to become enthralled By someone who just talks a good game mm. Well that brings us to Aristotle Who's the last of the three And Aristotle trained under Plato for a while Yeah did Although they were actually quite competitive, right?
1: Yeah they were They're not sure if Aristotle left Plato's academy to start his own Because he felt he was snubbed when Plato passed away, he thought he was going to take over. Because of his Macedonian credentials, if you can call it that, his his parents, so they were born in northern Greece, but Mm -hmm. his dad was in the medical field. He was a royal doctor. Yeah, he was a royal doctor for the Macedonian king. So he grew up in court Mm. in Macedonia. And so it could have been that as well, because there was a lot of sentiment you know, after the Peloponnesian Wars. The Macedonians weren't necessarily always... Massively accepted Especially when Alexander died So there could have been those reasons Why he started his own school You
0: mentioned his father being a royal doctor There was also an interesting story About by the time that he developed his reputation As the man who knew everything Or the master, the philosopher Aristotle was already in demand all over Greece And Philip of Macedon Who was the father of Alexander the Great Said to Aristotle Come I want you to teach my son And he said look You conquered my little village unless you free all those people, that's my price. Mm. I'm not going to come and train Alexander. And Philip said, sure. Released yeah. all of the people from his town. Uh, they went about their own business from there on in. And he dedicated himself to teaching young Alexander. And of course, we've covered Alexander in a previous mm. episode. But there's no doubt that Aristotle's ideas played an enormous role in the way that Alexander saw the world.
1: No, Definitely. That gave him balance. Macedonians were brutal, hard-drinking warriors, mm. where Alexander, he showed so many other sides of poetry and yeah. and philosophy and all of those things. So Aristotle definitely played a part, although both of them never talked too much about their relationship, funny enough.
0: Hmm. There was probably a bit of competitiveness there yeah. as well. But they call his followers peripatetics because he would walk around. He would mm. never sit down while he was lecturing. Mm. So they'd all have to walk with him he just keep moving the whole time, which I suppose was also a different way of teaching and something we don't see too much of today. You know,
1: it's almost like we'd imagine Jesus Christ walking yeah. with his disciples. But then the Stoics, I never knew this because you hear these terms so often. But what is a Stoic? Well, it's a Stoic that talks while sitting down. So that Stoic is stool. I mean, mm-hmm. so you always whereas, hear these
0: words. Yeah, whereas peripatetic is the opposite than someone who moves around exactly, while they're teaching yeah, yeah. while they're talking. Now, he also used to focus on speculative philosophy so logic, metaphysics, natural philosophy. He was very interested in the real world, physics, astronomy, geology, biology, psychology, and then practical philosophy which included things like ethics and politics and economics mm.
1: and I mean this guy knew a little bit about everything. Imagine measuring his IQ. If you look at what he did, if we, if you look at his studies on the animals and the fishes, Obviously, he got it wrong sometimes, but how incredibly close he was when I mean, he talks about vertebraes, invertebrates, yeah. et etc. et cetera. I mean, it's just so, so on a practical I mean, practical even the side. atom,
0: the idea, of, which wasn't his idea alone, but he expanded mm. those ideas yeah. to the point where only many hundreds of years later would modern science actually catch up to the philosophy.
1: You're two and a half thousand years ago, this guy. So that's why he blew people away.
0: Now, where Plato had the academy, Aristotle had the lyceum. Correct, yes. And in French, they still say lycée for school, but it's actually it was a direct competitor with Plato's school. And all of his books are actually lecture notes. They're not really books that have a thread. Yeah, and
1: it's quite difficult to, to put mm. them together. So yeah. I think it was only in the Renaissance period that they started really putting it together in more clear form.
0: He asked a couple of big questions too, and they're questions that we continue to answer now. What makes people happy? Mm. What is art for? What are friends for? He thought Mm. that friendship teaches you what you ought to be and that it is the best part of life to have friends, Mm. which I think is really beautiful.
1: And then purpose. I mean, you know that we talk about purpose now. That gives you happiness.
0: Absolutely. And I think after the death of Socrates on those charges, I mean, he was obviously born after Socrates died, but he wouldn't go back to Athens and he said, Lest the Athenians sin twice against philosophy, Correct. I'll better get my yeah. backside out of here.
1: And that was when Alexander died. Yeah. Because then the shit was going to hit the fans, They said, well, I'm out of here. He actually only died a year later, I think. Yeah. After he left Athens.
0: Out of the three of them and their contribution to modern ideas and philosophy and all the rest of it, is there any particular event or anything about their lives that strikes you that we would be able to associate with today that we could think of ourselves in the same
1: world you draw so much energy from the statements that they make you know you talk about the fools you talk about all men are mortals greeks are men therefore greeks are mortal. the three that's just simple simple things all three of them made such a difference to the western world
0: reason yeah rationality
1: all of that once again, I say, you've got to know what it was like to live in those times. And they weren't scared to say what they felt. You know, in one statement I said, you know, and he was punished for death, Socrates. He said, the street corner philosopher made a career of deflating pompous windbags. <laughs>
0: You know, it's just. Could anyone hope for more? Yeah, exactly. Uh, If someone said that about me at the end of my life, (laughs) I'd think I'd done well. You'd done well, hundred percent. Deflated a few pompous windbags.
1: All three of them didn't give a shit about what nobility or who ruled the world cared. Right. That was amazing about them.
0: There's the three great Greek philosophers, and there were obviously many more, but I think that those three give you a good insight into what else there is. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The next episode is the story of notorious dictator Idi Amin.
1: Was Plato his real name? No, it wasn't. It was actually Aristocles. Where Plato came from was its connotation about broad shoulders. Oh he wow! Had. Yeah, so obviously uh, his wrestling days.
0: He said that you should let your lover change you. That it's a good thing to let your lover come into your life, and you learn things from them. They learn
1: things from you, and you change. I don't know when in that part of his life he said that, because he also said love is a serious mental disease. <laughs> <laughs>